0: Hello and welcome back to the Job Hunter podcast, the podcast that endeavours to locate some of Britain's most fascinating jobs and ask the people behind them those annoying questions you always wanted to know. This week is no exception, as we will be sprinting to keep up with this week's guest, as well as limbering up to hear some stories that will definitely leave your head spinning. So without further ado, sit back, relax and roll on that intro. I'm very excited to welcome my next guest to this week's episode of the job hunter podcast she is best known for clambering over benches pirouetting around objects and flipping onto very tall plinths her other talents include being a bona fide ninja and working with some of the biggest names in the thespian world acting as their danger-loving twins it's my absolute pleasure and honor to welcome katie mcdonald to the show so where do we start? Um, it's quite a C- CV, to be honest, if you ask me. Um, I'm sure we can get into some of the film and TV work you've done later. Um, but I want to find out first is um, what exactly is free running to the uninitiated? Um, and how did you actually get into or I suppose fall into the sport of free running?
1: <laughs> fall into? Love that. Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. Um, free running. OK, so it's sort of used interchangeably with the word parkour um technically the two are slightly different although i try not to get too caught up on the pedantics and you know some people take it really seriously like that is not free running that is parkour essentially parkour is getting from a to b in the most efficient way possible um whereas free running is a little bit more free um it's usually where you see people adding things like flips or spins or slightly more creative moves. But to be honest, as I said, I just use the two words interchangeably. Um, So that's what it is, really. It's when you see people jumping around on walls, basically. That's me.
0: (laughs) So pretending to be Spider-Man or Spider-Woman, I suppose, which is very interesting. (laughs) So so you could even say that my current commute is very parkour because it's about six foot from my bedroom to my office would, would that be classed as parkour is, is parkour just all yes. about the aesthetically pleasing running and, and jumping over things
1: well so long as you're doing it efficiently i would say that definitely is parkour um, but i mean to be honest parkour literally is just that so there are a very, there's like a very basic side to parkour like just literally the running jumping side of things so pretty much anyone can do that bit <laughs>
0: So how did you get involved, uh, you know, in this sport? Because obviously it's not something, well, I suppose anyone could do running, but I suppose it's not something that is as well-known or as popular as, say, football or, or rugby. Um, how did you get mm. into it?
1: Yeah, I actually, I I started doing parkour when I was at university. Um, I was doing cheerleading at the time. So I joined the university cheerleading team. Uh, I wanted to do something that would let me use my sort of gymnastics background that I had. Um, and the university didn't have a gymnastics club at the time, but it had cheerleading. So I thought that seems like the next best thing. In fact, I, it actually turned out I loved cheerleading and I would love to go back to it at some point, but it's just quite hard to fit it in with, you know, my work schedule and things like that. But um, the gymnastics club that I was training at for cheerleading, it was more or less me and a bunch of free runners there. And I just became good friends with them. I thought what they were doing looked fun. Um, They would just sort of suggest things that I could try. Like, why don't you try and do this wall flip or try and swing on this bar and things like that. So I just was joining in with them, really didn't think too much of it. Definitely didn't think it was going to be a career path for me. That was like, really, it wasn't even on my radar at all. Um, But yeah, I guess I just enjoyed it a lot. So therefore worked at it a lot and got to a standard where I could start using it for things like commercials. My first sort of jobs in parkour were mainly the commercial side of things. Um, And then from there, that's when I started getting work as a stunt performer as well.
0: So you must be pretty fearless. Like I don't think I could have the I mean I'm going to say it, the nuts to do what you do because I feel like you just you you've 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 either got to be completely fearless or maybe have a slight screw loose to to decide to throw yourself off objects and you know without especially that first time like you know how do you just know that it's going to be fine the first time you do it because you've you're jumping off a twenty foot object onto a you know solid ground how how can you gee yourself up to do that
1: yeah well actually, I would say that really um parkour isn't really an uh, adrenaline junkie sport um i think i mean i think there are some people out there who do train it that way but actually the sort of the philosophy behind it is is more that you shouldn't ever be in a state of sort of like fight or flight and you shouldn't have your heart rate like really raised when you're doing parkour because you should build up to things at a steady enough pace that you don't really need to have that fear element there. Of course, there are times when I've gone for a move for the first time where I have felt a bit nervous about it. But it isn't like my first day trying parkour, I went to the tallest rooftop I could find and jumped to the next building. I have done roof gaps in my career, and I have jumped from building to building, but that was after a lot of training at ground level. So you sort of build things up slowly and, yeah, just do do things safely.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I. I my biggest fear is is height. So um, the idea of doing a roof gap is, is not high on my list of things. Um, so I'll probably happily watch you doing it from the ground. Um, obviously, you've Can said parkour is all about, um, you know, moving efficiently uh, and free running has evolved into this more kind of artistic stuff. Um, mm-hmm. What What is this evolution? How do you think it came about that free running kind of was born out of parkour? Um, you know, and how has it changed over the decades, would you say?
1: I think it's, I think it's sort of similar to any younger sports. I mean, free running hasn't been around for that long. So things do evolve very quickly. And especially with things like social media, where people can see what people on the other side of the world are training and their style of movement. People have sort of picked up little bits of styles from all around the world. And it's sort of come together into this big mashup, which is really very creative. And it's really evolved very, very quickly.
0: And um, are you excited about the possible inclusion in the Olympics? I know it's been floated um, a few times. Uh, but I think it's potentially in Paris, isn't it? They were going to include it. Um, but would that be something you'd be interested in? And and how do you think it would be scored or marked? How do you mark something like free running?
1: Mm. So is that it's actually a bit of a controversial one within our sports. There are a lot of people who are very against the idea of it being in the Olympics. For me personally, I actually think it could be a great opportunity. I think it could bring about a lot more sponsorship um, for, for athletes and things like that. I think it could be a really great thing for uh, the athletes within, the, within our sports. Um, and the better the sort of top athletes in the sport are doing, the more that sort of trickles down to grassroots level. So I think it could be a great thing, but I do understand why there are a lot of people who don't like the idea of it being in the Olympics um, but I mean, there are already competitions in our sports and there are sort of already, uh, judging criteria in place that are often used. There are also different categories of styles of competition. So you have freestyle competitions, which is literally you're given uh, a space, a performance area, and you're given a sort of time limit. I mean, no one ever really goes up to the time limit because you can't keep going for that long without burning out completely. Um, and you're just given a time and you can do whatever you want in that space. And you're judged on... Let me see if I can get these all right straight away. Um, Difficulty, creativity, flow, and execution. They're normally the sort of four main ones that people are judged on. Um, Then you also have speed competitions, which is literally just an A to B in the quickest time possible. And there are also skill competitions, which is where there are literally just set single skills um, that you have to sort of tick off as many of them as you can. So there are lots of different ways it could go into the Olympics. I think probably the freestyle one would be the most likely. That's the sort of one that people imagine when they think of a free running competition, I think.
0: And, um, has it ever gone wrong for you in the sense of performing tricks or have you, what's the worst injury or accident you've seen, um, in, in free running? Cause I imagine it, There must be some quite gnarly crashes and, and stuff yeah. like that.
1: Yeah. Um... I mean, I've had a fair few injuries myself. Um, To be honest, for me personally, the the biggest trouble I've had with injuries are the more wear and tear injuries rather than the one-off big fail that went horribly wrong and a leg leg snapped in half (laughs) or anything like that. I haven't really had too many things like that. Um, To be honest, I've had had more injuries (laughs) like that doing cheerleading than parkour. Um, But I have seen a few injuries um I mean the sort of things that you can imagine like snapped bones and things like that but I have to say it really is no more common in parkour than it would be in something like figure skating or I don't know football like people really do train pretty safely most of the time of course there are the reckless kids who I really can't talk for but um my friends anyway we we train as safely as possible
0: and i guess if your ability level matches what you're trying to achieve the the likelihood of you injuring yourself is very minimal isn't it because you're you know prepared and you're you're able to do it exactly. rather than you know, like you're saying those that might be a little less capable at performing the the stunts they want to do and then that's when the accidents happen um exactly what 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 is it that you love about parkour um you know if you could if you could define it
1: Um, I think I, I do genuinely really love the fact that it is so free. Um, it sounds like a bit of a cliche, but there aren't any rules in place. I grew up doing quite a, an odd type of gymnastics that not many people have heard of. Um, but it was very confined by rules. All of my training was, um, dictated by my coaches. I didn't really have any say in what I was doing. Even my routines themselves were choreographed by someone else for me to perform. Whereas in free running, it's the complete opposite. There really aren't any rules. In fact, if you can do something creative that hasn't been done before, that's even better. Um, And if you can come up with a slightly different style of moving, then people actually love that and respect that rather than it being like, no, you have to fit into this box. Um, So I think I really like that. That sort of drew me to it. Um, I also like the fact that you can train outside and you can just sort of train anywhere in the world. It's not like you have to go to a specific location for that sport. You can be anywhere in the world. And there is such a big, um, sort of push, not push really, but travel is such an important thing to the free running community. And I love travel, which is why the past 12 months have been a little bit hard for me. <laughs> I mean, they've been hard for everyone, but I found it so bizarre having to be, in the uk for the whole year because really like such a big part of my job is traveling all over the world and training with people who move in a slightly different way to the people i usually train with that's like a way that we can progress a lot um i can't even really remember what the initial question was now but i'm just <laughs> rambling about travel for some reason
0: <laughs> and uh i'm sure we'll get on to that a bit later i do have got a couple of questions about about the aspect of your your job so to speak but um before we get into that um i alluded to it a little bit in my introduction um that you are you are a bona fide ninja um you know you've been involved in ninja warrior uk um i'm big I fan have. of that i was a massive fan of the original ninja warrior um in japan and all those awful 90s uh japanese game shows and stuff like that yeah. um, <laughs> takeshi's castle absolute classic if anyone's not seen it um but how did that come about um you know what what is ninja warrior, warrior for those that might be again uninitiated to it um and hmm. obviously um was that quite hard to prepare for um you were one of the only well you are the only female to qualify for the semi-final of of a ninja warrior uk um you know was do you did you find it was it more difficult to prepare for ninja warrior than it was for say your you know performing stunts in free running
1: um so first of all how it came about um oh and for anyone who doesn't know ninja warrior is a televised obstacle course race essentially um there are different stages and each stage gets progressively more difficult um the obstacles become more and more challenging i i got involved with it initially when they brought the show to the uk And I knew that they were having auditions for the show. I was with one of my friends, Fizz, who's also now a stunt performer, actually. And we were having lunch one day together and we were talking about the fact that there were these auditions for Ninja Warrior. And we kind of thought that it might be a good opportunity for both of us to go on the show. But we also were really nervous at the thought of going on the show and sort of competing on TV. Like, it's just quite a daunting thing, especially in something that, as free runners, we were probably going to have a bit of a head start above people who didn't have any sort of parkour background, but it wasn't really something that we specifically trained. Um, but we decided that day that we were both going to be really brave <laughs> and go ahead and audition. Um, because actually, they I think the show had reached out to us both about coming in to audition. So I think, yeah. ITV had got in touch with both of us saying about coming in to audition for them. And we were sort of umming and ahhing about whether or not we'd do it. And we both convinced each other that we should. So I went along to the audition. I actually thought I performed terribly in the audition. In fact, I thought I performed so badly in it that I afterwards submitted an audition video, which actually the audition video really was to get you into the audition that I'd already been to. But because I did so badly in that audition, I thought I'm actually going to make an audition tape and send it to them after that audition just so they can see what I can actually do. Because I, I don't know what was going on with me. I just couldn't perform that day. And anyway, long story short, I got onto the show and season one of the show went really well for me. I, as you said, I was the only female to complete the semi-final course. Um, yeah, so it was a good experience. Um, it was, uh, uh, you asked about preparing for it. I, I probably did about a week of getting ready for the show. So not too long, really, especially when you think about um, our American counterpart, um, American Ninja Warrior, where the, the people who go on that, they train it all year round. That is their sport. That's what they're really devoted to is just Ninja Warrior training. They, they call themselves ninjas. That is how serious they are about it. Um, Whereas for me, it was like, oh, I'm going on that TV show in a week. I should probably try some obstacles out. (laughs) But yeah, it it worked out quite well for me in season one. Season two didn't go so well, but then season three, I got some sort of redemption. (laughs) And then season four, I actually had the opportunity to be a course tester on the show. So I got to sort of test out the obstacles before the contestants ran the course. I actually also performed as the ninja, on one occasion, where they they show the ninja running the course on TV before they have the contestants run it, and one time I did perform as that ninja. Um, but yeah, that was my sort of ninja warrior experience in a nutshell.
0: I feel like we've just unmasked the stig. I feel like that that's kind of removed all of the the, the mystique around well, there are, it. There
1: were many people who played um, the ninja, and there were a, a few who played the ninja a lot more regularly than I did. I think I literally did it once just because I wanted to be able to say I could. I also didn't really want the pressure of doing it because you're in front of all the audience being told that you're like the expert. This is how it's done. And if you fall in there's it really wouldn't look very good. So I I didn't really want the pressure of having to do it, but I did want to say that I had done it. So I just sort of did it for that, to tick that box.
0: (laughs) And and obviously you mentioned a bit about like, you know, uh, going, being a bit nervous about going on and stuff. Were you worried about kind of that court of public opinion and all that stuff, you know, with you being a free runner and and everything like that of of what people would think, or do you just not really focus on that aspect?
1: No, not really. I think the only thing that I was nervous about was the fact that although I'd done quite a lot of filming work before Ninja Warrior sort of in the commercial world. And I think by that point i would probably done a little bit of television, music videos, that kind of thing. But they were the sort of things where if it went wrong, you could retake the shot. Whereas in Ninja Warrior, you literally get one shot. You don't get to have a go on the obstacles beforehand either. It's not like you get a practice run and then they and then they film you. It's literally, right, you're up. This is your first time on the course. Cameras are rolling, off you go. <laughs> so I think that's the only thing I was nervous about was the fact that it was just a one-take thing. It was a real competition. And I just felt like there was a lot of pressure on me, but Yeah.
0: Well, you seem to have taken it like a duck to water and obviously they've kept you on for four seasons, so you must have done something right. So, um, yeah, I was
1: definitely a duck to water as I actually (laughs) fell in the water.
0: (laughs) Um, so obviously we've mentioned, obviously you've mentioned a bit about your commercial work and I think this lends ourselves quite, quite nicely into, um, you know, saying there's an obvious transition between the world of free running and parkour into stunt performance. Um, how did how did that come out? I keep feel like I'm saying the word "come about" a lot, but how did you how did that fall? You know, how did you fall into that kind of career how did it path? Come about? Exactly,
1: <laughs> exactly. How did it come about? Um, so my first stunt job was actually on Assassin's Creed, the movie, not the game. Uh, I think that was quite a natural one for a parkour athlete to come in and perform on because you know, literally, the things they they'd brought me in for were jumping between rooftops and, you know, doing a little tic-tacs between buildings and things like that. So it was sort of right up my street. I think they, they were specifically looking for a parkour athlete for those things. But then obviously while I was there, I got to experience wire work for the first time, which is where you're in a harness and you have a wire attached to you. It was actually a tech it's called tech it's not really a wire anymore that's what they used to use in the old days but we still call it wire work and um, so that was my first experience of that of being sort of pulled through the air by a wire um, and I also got to have a little bit of fight experience on that I was never actually going to do the fight scenes myself for that there was another stunt performer for that but they got me to learn it as a, as a backup in case something happened to her so it was my first experience of learning any fight choreography as well um so that was that really and then it it probably wasn't wasn't until about a year after Assassin's Creed where I started to get a bit more steady stunt work come in and that was really just through word of mouth other people in the industry some people who had worked with on Assassin's Creed suggesting me for things because I actually haven't taken the sort of normal route into the stunt world in the UK um usually the way to get into stunts in the UK is to do the qualifications on the British stunt register and then you're on this register of stunt performers that when stunt coordinators need someone they can look through this physical book of stunt performers and pick who they need I'm not on that register so I usually will be brought in for more um, things that sort of tailor to my sort of talents I guess or just through word of mouth and things like that but that's that was how I got into it.
0: Well, you, you're answering my questions already before I've even said them because I was going to ask you about um, the <laughs> British Stunt Register. Um, and obviously, you know, you, you are kind of proof that you don't need to be on, on registers and stuff like that to, to get the work and stuff. Um, what would you say to people um, that may be kind of interested in becoming stunt performers, um, you know, to get their name out there or potentially find work, um, you know, if they don't want to go down that route of being on the, on the um, BSR? So I mean, I, like I would
1: definitely say that um the BR, the BSR is the recommended route to go down. And I don't want to be the person who's here saying, like, oh, you don't need to do that. You can just get in and work anyway, because I think I was actually very lucky that I had the breaks that I had. And I don't think that is the norm. Um I think it also depends what country, um, what country you're in. For example, in the US, it is a lot more. Uh, who you know and actually your talent and, you know, getting your name out there and hustling. Um, Whereas in the UK, I I really would recommend to people if that is what they want to do, then the British Stunt Register is the right route to go down. And also it's um, probably... uh, You've probably got a better chance of ending up with stunt work at the end of it rather than just sort of trying to get your name out there. I, I mean for the type of stunts that usually come up in movies, they will have people in the register who they can use for those stunts. And it's only really when they can't find someone on the register for those things that they can go off the register. So yeah, I would still say the BSR is the way to go if you're in the UK um, or if you're in a different country, then it sort of works differently depending on what country you're in. So I'd say to look up what works best where you are. <laughs> um, So Coming back to
0: kind of that first time on set um for Assassin's Creed, was that nerve-wracking? Um, you know, obviously you're you're performing in a very high stakes environment. It's a film set, and obviously they've got deadlines and stuff like that to go to. Um, you know, was that were you nervous about doing that? And obviously, especially doing some of these stunts that are inherently dangerous. Um, you know, how did you manage those nerves if you hadn't that I don't know. You could be a complete uh, smooth criminal and have no nerves at all, but Uh, assuming you probably did have a few
1: yeah but I would say that I'm always nervous um anytime I'm on camera and I wouldn't say that um necessarily for Assassin's Creed I was any more nervous than I was with any of the commercial work I'd done before that um I think there's just it it doesn't really matter what it is that you're shooting for if you've got a, a a crew there who are watching you perform and you've got a camera rolling, there's just always going to be that bit of pressure to get the stunt right. Um So I don't think it's like, as I've gone on, I'm no longer nervous. I think every time I'm there and they're about to call like three, two, one action, I'm always going to be nervous um for some stunts more than others. But I would say that I, I didn't ever feel on Assassin's Creed like I was in danger at any point. I had a really good rigging team around me and um, I've been really fortunate that I've always worked with teams where their rigors are super safe and they put such a big emphasis on safety. And I've actually always felt very safe in all, in all the stunt work I've done. Um, obviously, there are times in stunt work where things go wrong. But I mean, that that's the case in so many, so many industries, and it's not something that's unique to stunt performing. Um, but yeah, that, there can be freak accidents, but I've never felt like I'm in any real danger doing stunt work. The, the thing I'm most scared of is not getting the stunt right. I'm not really ever thinking like, oh, this might hurt. Or actually, sometimes you do think this might hurt. But if, if it's one where you're literally getting slammed into a wall, but normally I'm not thinking about, oh, this wire might snap and I might fall to my death. I'm normally thinking, oh, if I don't hit my mark and if I don't get that action right, then I'm going to be in trouble. <laughs> That's what I'm normally thinking about.
0: I'm a huge star Wars fan. Um, and for those listening and and maybe watching that, that don't know, um, you've obviously doubled for, for Daisy Ridley. Um, she is the main protagonist, uh, Ray in the rebooted franchise. Um, you do an absolutely incredible stunt in, in the, the rise of Skywalker. Um,
1: thank you. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's incredible. Um, and, and for those that, that that haven't seen it, um just just search on YouTube for um Ray destroys a TIE fight or something like that. Um mm-hmm. and um I mean obviously I've wondering I'd much... which
1: stunt you were
0: referring <laughs> to. obviously there's a many, many, many stunts that in, in that film. <laughs> um but obviously if you want to touch on that, it'll be fantastic in a bit, bit more detail. Cause I'm probably just butchering this completely. Um no, but maybe you want to just yeah, describe it a bit better oh. than I have. And obviously what what went into making a stunt like that?
1: Hmm. Um, so obviously I'm sort of a little bit limited when it comes to talking about behind the scenes or films like that just because I've signed so many different NDAs and things like that so I can sort of touch on the things that have already been shown in like BTS videos that you know Disney or whoever have put out Um, so for that stunt in particular the TIE Fighter flip we had rehearsed it a few months prior in the studios um we'd figured out the best pick point so in that stunt I'm essentially I'm the person who's initiating the flip and making the right shapes in the air but I've got the assist of a single wire point so we'd worked out the best point for that wire to be attached to my harness in the studios we would worked out um how much uh pressure it is that they needed going through the wire or however you would say it um, and basically we'd got the stunt down to a t in the studios um, probably a couple of months before we flew out to jordan which is where we were shooting in the desert um, but actually on the day that we shot that stunt i had thought that i was wrapped for the day i had a very busy day of essentially sprinting in the sand and i thought i was done for the day i was absolutely exhausted I was about to get derigged and go back to the hotel. And then I was told, Katie, we're shooting the TIE fighter flip. I was like, really? (laughs) I'm exhausted. And the sun's about to go down. And apparently, well, I think what happened was, um, this could be wrong, by the way, so don't quote me on this, but I think that sort of the light was just really good. And they decided that they were going to try and squeeze it in at the end of the day, even though we didn't have much time. Um, so it was a bit of a rush to sort of um, get everyone over there and get me into the right harness for that stunt Um, but then it actually it went to plan that was one that I was very nervous for though because as I said it hadn't been it had been about two well at least over a month that I hadn't rehearsed the stunt for so I was like because I was expecting that I was going to have a chance to sort of rehearse it at the location before we shot it but it was one of those where it was a bit of a right, this is happening now. Is everyone ready? Safety is all in place. Great. Okay, let's go and just do it. And fortunately it went really well. And JJ, the director was super happy with it. It was actually probably my, my best moment of filming on that movie because everyone just really loved the shot, partly because of what I was doing, but also just because the scenery and the lighting, it was just like a really it was a nice moment and it was at the end of a long day. So when we wrapped for that day, it was just like a really great feeling. So, yeah, probably my favourite moment of filming for that movie.
0: Well, my next question was going to be, um, what would you say has been one of your most memorable stunts that you've performed um, so far? Mm.
1: I, I think probably that one. I wouldn't say it's the most difficult necessarily stunt that I've performed it's actually a fairly straightforward one but in terms of just the location and the sort of the energy in the air when um when I did that and everyone was just you know cheering for me which is always nice (laughs) having people clap you is always really lovely Um, so that was probably my my favorite stunt that I've performed Um, I think would it be yeah probably
0: well, you don't know what's what's on the in the pipeline there might be something incredible Hello. coming up. Um I I couldn't possibly say. I I don't know anything. You you're the one that knows, but um if we could take a slight segue away from the the tough questions, um I like to mm-hmm. do a little segment in the middle uh, called Tim's three tips. Um this is where I ask my esteemed guests, my expert guests uh, to offer three bits of advice on their well, my chosen topic, but their their expert topic. Um, and obviously you are a world-class professional free runner. So, um, what three tips would you give someone um for getting into free into free running?
1: Um, getting into free running, I would say the first thing that you probably want to do is research if there are any parkour groups or like a local community of freerunners in your area. Um, it might not be that there's a gym facility near you although there are quite a lot of those popping up now um but it's quite likely that there are even if it's just a small group of people who go out and train near you it's quite likely that there will be some people seeing as most towns and cities now seem to have some sort of a parkour community um, so I would say that's probably the first thing to do because it's as much as you can learn things online and there are so many amazing tutorials out there There's just such a nice thing about going out with other people and learning from them and training with them and trying challenges with each other. I mean, that's something I love about training anyway. Um, What else would I say? I would say start off with all the basics and really get your technique down to a T for all of the really basic movements. So things like Precision jumps. So, precision is where you literally jump from one wall to another and you land precisely on the edge. That's where it gets its name from. Um, and there are sort of there are ways of doing that well and ways of doing that not so well. And I think that's such a core movement in parkour that things like that and being able to roll nicely, absorbing impact on landing, and all of the basic vaults, things like that. I think don't neglect those don't just think well i want to straight away get into the cool stuff i think you'll you'll progress more quickly in the cool stuff if your basics are really really strong so i would say that and also i would say don't forget to also do your strength and conditioning alongside your parkour training i think it's something that when i first started out in the sport it it wasn't made a big deal out of but now people are really understanding the importance especially as you get a bit older especially as your joints have taken more and more impact over the years you really start to notice the benefit of that strength and conditioning training and if you can do that from the start alongside your training you'll just progress at such a such a quick rate so they are my three tips were they okay
0: <laughs> excellent yeah yeah so um a question i have for you um this is lots of again not a serious question um is it the law in free running that you have to shout parkour every after every time you do a, a trick or is that just some terrible meme videos that you, you see on the internet?
1: I know that is absolutely true it, <laughs> it's a must
0: fantastic. <laughs> um, we have a couple of listener questions. Um, I know you're a big name guest when you actually well, actually have listener questions because usually it's nothing so um, you, you should feel very very honored to, to have questions from our our I listeners. So <laughs> um, Matt Mutton on Facebook uh, has asked, um, what was your most physically demanding stunt you've ever performed? Um, and uh, in terms of your career, do you ever see yourself dabbling in, in the acting space and moving more into a, an, an acting role on top of being a stunt performer?
1: Ooh, they are both very good questions. Um, I would say my most physically demanding stunt maybe not even like a specific uh, stunt itself but on the last movie that I worked on I had a lot of fight scenes to do and my background obviously is in parkour and not in martial arts or weapons or anything like that so I had to learn very quickly on the job and I was having to learn a lot of choreography in a short space of time and that choreography would then be changed multiple times throughout the day as is always the case in any movie as you're shooting stuff things get changed as you go along but for someone who's not from a fight background that was really physically demanding and the fight scenes were quite long and it was just take after take after take so I would say actually the fight scenes have probably been the most physically demanding for me rather rather than the things where it's sort of like a short one shot of you flying through the air (laughs) I would say that they were much more physically demanding um remind me what the other question was sorry
0: whether or not you yeah you jump into acting
1: interestingly I am actually um starting to take a few acting classes which to be honest I've taken more for the sake of um being able to be a stunt double, actually, as the stunt double, there is an element of acting to what you do, especially if there's a bit of overlap in where the stunt ends and where the scene actually ends, your face might be masked, but you might have to carry on the movement for longer than your stunt actually lasts for. Um, so I actually wanted to take some acting classes for that side of things, but also for commercials where I'm actually playing on a character myself. Um, normally that would be more of like a parkour type commercial, but sometimes there's acting involved in those as well so i have actually just started going down that route a little bit that's not necessarily because i want to get into acting myself but i think it will help me in my career as a stunt performer but if the opportunity came up i don't think i'd turn it down
0: (laughs) interesting well you heard it here first people you might see katie (laughs) on on the silver screen in, in in a role more than just being a stunt double Um, so Noral, Noral on Instagram has asked, um, how was your training and kind of general free running affected by, by COVID and all the lockdowns? So obviously you mentioned a little bit about, uh, not being able to get out and about over the last year. Um, what's happened?
1: Yeah, actually, um, for me, the, the biggest thing that COVID affected was the fact that Right as we went into the first lockdown, was when I was due to have surgery on my ankle, and that got postponed all the way until I think it was September. I ended up having the surgery. So, for all of that time, even if I could get outside, obviously, we were allowed to go outside for our one hour a day exercise. Um, even if I could get outside for that hour a day to train, I was really limited in what I could do. So. For me, it was more the fact that I was injured and I was waiting for surgery that got postponed because of COVID. Um, but also it's it's meant that a lot of the well, all of the gyms had to shut. And a lot of my training, um, I like to prep new moves in a gym environment first where you've got a foam pit and crash mats and all the things that make it less scary. Um, so I haven't really been able to sort of learn any new tricks during the whole of the COVID time while I haven't had gym access Um, so it's been sort of more a case of maintaining skills rather than necessarily progressing and also just trying to rehab my injuries that I've now had all my surgery and I'm back to training but yeah just trying to get back to the same level of fitness I was at before before all of COVID and everything Hit well, the world.
0: hopefully we're on, on the way out now and, and you'll be able to get back out and about. And, um, I've got one more question from, from a listener. And obviously then I want to ask you a bit more about your travel and stuff like that. Um, so sim, sim on Instagram, fantastic name, um, has asked, um, how important is raw ability for free running, you know, like flexibility and core strength. Uh, and what would you say is the best way for, for someone to develop those skills?
1: Mm. Uh, actually i'd say a lot of free runners are very inflexible is it inflexible or unflexible what's the word
0: unflexible yeah
1: unflexible yeah i'd say a lot of free runners are actually not flexible at all that's a better way to say it then i don't have to fumble my words um but obviously flexibility will help in any physical activity and i don't think the stretching that free runners would use is any different to other types of athletes in particular in fact the majority of freerunners i know don't put enough time and effort into their stretching um but things like core strength i kind of touched on it a bit earlier a- any sort of general strength and core strength in particular is so important especially i mean we we really do take a lot of impact we're jumping on concrete um and if you haven't got the core strength or just the general body strength um you're not going to last too long in the game.
0: Fantastic. Um, I've got one question. Um, I think it's a very important question. Um, How many pairs of trainers do you get through a year? Because I imagine you get through a lot.
1: (laughs) I do get through quite a lot, to be fair. Although for some reason, I, I seem to not wiggle my toes in the same way that other free runners do because... I have friends that really get through like a pair of trainers a week and I am not going through them at that rate. I can definitely keep the same pair of trainers for a month and be absolutely fine. Um, that being said, I do have quite a few pairs of trainers, but mainly of the same type of trainer. I've just got backups of them.
0: (laughs) I was going to say, do you have trainers for specific activities or something, or, you know, do you have like a preferred more span spongy or bouncy one for more you know, intensive tricks?
1: Um, not, not really. I did, while I had Achilles problems for a while, I was training in gel light threes or gel light fives. I can't remember one of the ASICs pairs of trainers because they had a slightly more cushioned heel, which really helped. And actually slightly, slightly raised heel in a way, which helped my Achilles. But in general, I just wear the same pair of trainers or well, the same type of trainers for all parkour training. Um, doesn't matter really what type i'm
0: doing but yeah um so obviously the job hunter podcast is is all about um finding out more about people and their careers and 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 their how they got to where they are you've obviously mentioned um you did cheerleading at uni but i remember watching a a video you did for bbc3 where you you mentioned you did a maths degree at uni um
1: yeah
0: how did you or how do you dispel those naysayers um that initially might have said, you should go down a more conventional career, like, you know, mathematics or, um, whatever you, 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 you know, people do now, nowadays, uh, in, in more, you know, graduate roles, whatever. Um, and what would you say to people that really want to, you know, pursue their passion, um, you know, uh, in the face of the weight of expectation, so to speak?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I have to say I was really fortunate in the fact that I really didn't have very many naysayers in my in my life. Both my parents were so supportive of me when I said, actually, I don't want to start applying for grad schemes like all the rest of my friends doing. I want to try and pursue parkour. I mean, they could already see that during my time at uni, I'd started to have a few commercials coming in and they could see that actually there is potential in this for her and she does love doing it. Um, so I was really fortunate in the fact that both of my parents were super supportive. None of my friends told me, Oh, you shouldn't be doing that. I just, I sort of told people, well, that's what I was going to try and do and I was going to see how it would go for a year. And if, if I didn't have any work come in, then I'd start applying for the same grad schemes as everyone else. Um, But I do have uh I have people contact me sometimes saying how can I convince my parents to let me do parkour and I think that's such it is such a difficult one because I don't want to um you know go against what people's parents are telling them they can and can't do but and I've never been in that position myself I was always encouraged to do what I loved doing um so it is a really difficult one I think potentially what what they could do is try to educate um, their parents or friends or whoever it is, who's telling them they shouldn't be doing that sort of educate them in the success stories that are out there. Um, If, if they want, they can use me as an example. I mean, I'm not trying to say I'm a success story, but I have had some really cool work opportunities in my career. Um, So they can sort of try and show them examples of that, maybe show them um, what, uh, what a career as a stunt performer looks like and show that there are you know really well regarded um careers in the stunt industry um but I think that's sort of the most you can do really and from that point you just have to decide for yourself what you want to do and whether you're going to let those people stand in the way of what you really want to be doing or not
0: Excellent. Um I've I've got a couple more questions um and then then I'll I'll probably probably let you go. <laughs> um where has obviously we talked a bit about you you know traveling and stuff like that, but where where has um free running taken you around the world? Um I recently again I watched um a little series that you did for all four, so channel four, um, a couple of years ago. Um and you went to my yes, yes, you went to my beloved Sheffield Ski Village, my absolute childhood. Uh, with Sheffield Ski Village and it broke my heart when really? it went up in flames. Yes. Yeah, so I, I, I skied there from the age of seven until I was about 15. Um, so very fond memories of that place. Um, but what, what was that like as an experience? abandoned playgrounds? Um, you know, that must have been quite, quite a fun, fun, you know, set of places to go and run around in.
1: It was so much fun that job on it. Like to this day, I would say that that is the most fun I've ever had on a job, Um, because it really was just a group of young people. Even all the crew were really young. I mean, I think I was one of the older people there. Um, And it was all of us just on this tour bus going from location to location. And when we'd get to the locations, we basically were just told to explore and do our our sports there, whether uh, we had like a BMX guy, a skateboarder, a highliner and myself. And we'd just get to these locations and be told to do what we want, like go wild, find find the coolest things you can do in these locations. And you're being paid to do it. <laughs> it was like, it was just so much fun. And I got on so well with all of the all of the crew that we had there. And yeah, I got to see loads of locations in the UK that I would maybe never have otherwise gone to visit. Places like Red Sands out and see those big, um, what are they, they're... Um, they're where they used to send out um, pirate radio signals from, but they were originally something to do with the war. And they're like these big towers in the middle of the sea. And I was just like, "What am I doing here? This is crazy!" But yeah, that was a really fun experience doing that.
0: A guy actually turned one of those into his own country called Fortlandia um, at one oh. point, and he like broke away from Britain and claimed to be his own sovereign no nation. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting story that one. Um, look, if you could um you know take a step back in time uh and and see yourself as a kid again could you ever imagine um that you'd be jet setting all over the world pursuing your passion and you know traveling all over these incredible places is that something you kind of always envisaged or is it completely beyond the realms of your you know imagination
1: i mean i i said earlier i i was never sort of intending on going down this route like I had no idea when I started doing parkour even at the age of 19. So I started fairly late on. But even at that point when I started, I had no idea that it was going to take me all around the world. That it was going to lead to all of these amazing um, job opportunities that I've had. Um, and as, as a kid, I don't think I would say that I even had um, these big dreams of traveling all over the world, but it was sort of the more I did travel, The more I fell in love with traveling, and the more I fell in love with um, exploring other countries and other cultures, and I think it's just one of those things where until you do it and realize how amazing it is, you you can't really realize how passionate you are about it. So it wasn't like I had this dream from a, a young age to go all around the world. It was just as I started having opportunities to travel more, I then made a conscious decision that this is something I do want to do more of, and therefore put more of my own time and investment into that.
0: So kind of my final question, this is it's probably very deep and meaningful, but um, how do you want to leave your mark on the world? I don't imagine... Um, I mean, you might want to uh, completely, you know, say, say I'm wrong, but I don't imagine you want to be doing free running when you're say 85. Imagine your body might decide it wants a break by that point. Yeah. I was
1: going to say, I'd probably want to, but I don't think I'd necessarily be able to.
0: So, yeah. So, so what, what would you say, you know, would be, you know, your mark on, on, on the world? Um, You know, if you look, you could look back on your career when you're, when you are 85. Mm -hmm.
1: Um. Well, I think one thing that is nice about doing the film work is that those moments that you did in films will completely outlive me. Things like Star Wars. I mean, people are going to watch that for years after I'm gone. And the fact that I have like a little part of that, that means a lot to me. But also, I just I think in terms of the sort of parkour and free running community, obviously, I wasn't one of the first generation of free runners, but I was maybe in sort of that second, third generation, back at a stage where there still were very few women in the sport. And so I'd like to think that I would be remembered as someone who paved a way for the women in the sport, for the, especially the younger generation who are sort of up and coming now. We've got so many more females in the sport now. And I, I mean, I do have people message me quite frequently saying that I was one of the first women they saw doing the sport and that encouraged them to try it themselves. So if that's a little mark that I left on the world, then that'll do me.
0: Katie it has been absolutely fantastic to speak to you. I've been so excited for this one. Um, cause we've had this booked in for absolutely weeks and I'm no. yeah, so happy that we actually got, got sit down. Um, where can people find out more uh, about your free running? Obviously, you've, you're really active on social media. You do crazy things on your Instagram. I remember watching you stand on your head and do knee circles, which I have no idea how you do because I'm so inflexible, <laughs> unflexible. Um, but where can people find out uh, more about you and, and what you do?
1: Just mainly on all the sort of typical social medias. So Instagram, as you said, YouTube, Facebook, if you just search for my name, Katie McDonald, I think my handles are usually at Katie McDonald in most places. So if you search that, it should come up.
0: And she's got a blue tick, so you know, she's legit. So... <laughs> Uh, there it's very important that it. It uh, <laughs> Katie. Um, I hope you have a fantastic 2021. You get out and about and manage to do all of your interesting things. uh we get to see you in lots of exciting projects. I really wanted to ask you about um Wonder Woman. Um, so briefly let's touch on that. Um, how did it feel to be an Amazonian woman?
1: It was a very cool experience. I actually I was really fortunate in the fact that I had one stunt where I got to play my own Amazon. Um rather than doubling for someone else. It's always really nice when you get a little moment where you get to be your own character rather than someone else's stunt double. Um, but I was also doubling for Dowson Crowers, who is just an amazing woman and played one of the sort of main competitor Amazons. So I got to just perform a lot of really cool stunts on that. We had a really cool bar sequence that we spent, I mean, a lot of time figuring all that out because there were so many of us that had to be on the bars at once um but yeah it was such a nice experience working with a predominantly female group of song performers and actors because usually we're outnumbered by the men but in this case we had the majority and <laughs> that was really fun
0: <laughs> amazing thanks you again thank you so much uh, for, for coming on the show um, thanks for having and yeah, me it's been really fun yeah, stay safe uh, and I'll, I'll i'll look out for all your work thank you Well, what a wild ride this week's episode was. My huge thanks go out to Katie McDonald for taking the time out of her busy schedule to sit down for a chat. If you fancy seeing her on the big screen, you can catch her in the new Wonder Woman 1984 film out now on streaming platforms. Needless to say, if that has left you inspired, you can find out more info about stunt Performing in the show notes or drop us a message and we shall find out from Katie where you can learn more about this exciting career. You can find us on the interwebs. Just search at JobhunterPod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or head to our LinkedIn if you prefer that professional feel. Drop us an email if you fancy coming on the show. It's JobhunterPodcast at gmail.com. Finally, if you've enjoyed today's episode why not scroll down and listen to another one? Even better, if you really enjoyed the show, perhaps consider subscribing and leaving a review. That way we can reach a wider audience and grow the podcast. I've been your host, Tim French, and you've been enjoying the Job Hunter podcast.